Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. This is episode number 116, and I'm Ross. I am Gordon. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm pretty good. I've read that. I've read that on many walls, in fact, that you're quite good. But let's not go there tonight. So, we were chatting earlier and thought it'd be a pretty good time, because there's no time like the present, to talk a little bit about jpeg and when i broached this you said <laughs> whoa there fat man there might be some more important questions to ask so what your first question was uh what is jpeg what is jpeg that's a great question because so often uh, as you correctly pointed out it gets glossed over uh, so jpeg is actually a name of a group the Joint Photographic Experts Group. Mean okay. anything to you? Um, no. No. Right, exactly, and that's probably true for everybody. It means nothing. Thank you very much for asking. When we talk about JPEG, we're, in the case of photography, we're talking about a file format, how a, a image file is represented. Um, JPEG was designed to dramatically reduce the size of image files for transmission over very low bandwidth. So our first iterations of JPEG typically come from space exploration. You know, if you are on a very low power transmitter and you're a, an explorer unit, or more correctly, a Voyager unit, you'll use the JPEG method to take a high resolution image, compress it, so you can send it over very low speed bandwidth. What most of us today don't think about is that when we've got multi-megabits coming into our homes, back then, they were talking about 9,600 bits per second. You know, like maybe one one-hundredth of what some of us have in our homes. So that was the whole reason why JPEG was created. And despite the fact that it's a very compressed format, it doesn't look all that bad. Now, does compression make sense to everybody, do you think? Um, probably not. So if I say it's compressed, what does that mean to you? Um, it implies to me that the file size is probably smaller than the original. Um, one would assume that to get to a smaller file size, they had to do something fancy with whatever goes in there in the first place. And uh, I'm guessing that what comes out is somebody's interpretation of what it's supposed to look like. That's pretty fair. There are multiple kinds of compression. JPEG being an older methodology for image transfer, it's what we call lossy compression. So in a regular JPEG, about 92% of the original image data is thrown away. It's lost forever. I find that absolutely mind-boggling. And it's mind-boggling that nobody has ever talked about this. Well, I think one of the things is, is that for most people, that's okay. I mean, if you're just looking at an image on a phone screen, as so many folks do, we're not talking about super high resolution. And there's a fair bit of what's called interpolation being done to make it look good. Now, also, today's smartphones and our digital cameras, you know, 
interchangeable lens cameras will offer something called JPEG Fine. And JPEG Fine is only over just over 70% gets tossed away. One of the big challenges with JPEG, though, and why I think it might be viable for some people, is the quality degrades every time you save it. So if I open a JPEG and I do something to it, not view it, but if I change something and then I save as JPEG again, it recompresses. And that means more stuff gets thrown away. And in fact, most JPEG algorithms that we're going to encounter are set to find about 80% quality. So think of that if you opened it, saved it, opened it, saved it, opened it, saved it six times, you'd go from what looked like a really nice image to the cat box. That's uh, <clears throat> hey, that's that's amazing. And uh, again, I did not realize that it's, it's subject to a incremental decrease in quality every time you do something with it. Right, and so that's why we often will hear people um, who do ed photo editing say that the export to JPEG is the last step. So why do we export to JPEG at all? Well, one of the benefits is you can view it pretty much anywhere. Right. Right? Can you, like, can you look at a JPEG on your phone? Yes. Your tablet? Yes. Your computer? Yes. Did you have to buy any special software to do that? Nope. Right. It becomes a native way for us to share image information. So my posit to you, do you think that there are people out there who like to take pictures or make photographs or whatever the politically incorrect phrase of the day is, who don't care about editing them at all? Yeah, that would probably be a yes. And I would say that's probably a large proportion of people. Okay, so if we take into account that JPEG is a lossy compression, but it only ever gets compressed once when that image data is turned into something that we can view and never changed again, that might be perfectly okay for folks. Yes. So historically, and I admit I'm one of them, because I only shoot in what's called the raw format which ostensibly is unedited. It's not really true, but we're going to talk about that on a different episode. But it, it means that every image that I take in my camera, every image I capture, uh, as much as I hate that buzzword, I have to do something to it. I can't look at a raw file. It's just a series of ones and zeros. It's bits. It needs to get converted to something that I can look at. My guess, though, is that there are probably folks who don't want to go through any of that hassle. Yes, that would be correct. <clears throat> so if you take a photograph on your phone, and everybody's phones these days take pretty good photographs, they got pretty darn good cameras in them, do you want to do any processing to it? Or do you just want to see it, share it with your friends, family, post it on Instagram, do whatever like that? I would think that's the majority of people. They're a, they're a small group who know that their phones will do some basic editing, make it brighter, darker, change contrast, maybe. But I'm willing to bet that most people don't use it. And I think that the data will tell us that that's true. 
if we look, for example, at the number of edits of the average photo posted, and by the way, there are over 2 billion images shot every day. 2 billion pictures. Now, not all of them end up somewhere. A lot of them just end up on people's phones. Yep. You know, we call this the place where pictures go to die. But if someone takes a picture and they like it, whatever it is, the chances are pretty decent that if it's a good one and they're happy with it, they might send it to friends or family or want to post it on one of the social media environments, most common being Instagram or Facebook. And I think a lot of folks find that just fine. Yes, I, I would say that because I think most people would not be aware or care that you can do more to an image to make it better because what they're seeing is to their satisfaction. It rep it rep it's a representation of what they saw and that is satisfactory. So it's doing the job for them? For them, yes. So what I'm hearing you say, and I, I think that you're right, for a lot of folks, shooting JPEG is probably the smart answer. Yes. They're going to get a decent-looking image right away. Maybe the camera app, like you say, will do some little tweaking to it, mm -hmm. uh, provide some type of effect or whatever. And that may be just, I don't want to use the phrase good enough in a negative way, but good enough in a very positive way. Not a lot of futzing around, image ready to go, and they're not going to be making 30 by 40 inch prints from it. Right. I mean, we, you and I both know that far too few f serious photographers print anything anymore. Right. So we know that smartphones have some basic functionality when it comes to JPEG. I'm not a JPEG shooter, but you pointed out that there are some JPEG functions that we'll find even on our, let's call them more expensive, dedicated cameras or interchangeable lens cameras. One of the ones that you talked to me about was when working with black and white. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, this was something that uh, became, that I became aware of was when I had joined the camera club and I was had learned to shoot in raw in a rudimentary sort of fashion. I knew the words and I knew sort of what it did. And I took some pictures downtown that I was going, thought would look nice in a black and white. And uh, I set it to black and white. And yes, it took a very nice image. And then I downloaded those images to my... Uh, to my computer, and it all came out in color, and I was absolutely dumbfounded by this. And I, I had no concept that, in fact, the images were in black and were in color, but the camera had done the conversion to a JPEG in black and white for me to take a look at. And more recently, you have impressed on us that one of the reasons for putting it into black and white is that you get a visual impression of what your image should or will look like once you have gone through the process of converting 
the raw image to a black and white image. So in that sense, uh, I think it's a very good use of the of the JPEG and the black and white function. So you're using the JPEG functionality in that context as almost a preview of where you could get to by editing the raw. Correct. But could you could you avoid the whole editing step simply by having the camera save as JPEG? Yes, you could. So for some folks who've even spent money on a, let's call it a better camera for lack of, of proper phraseology, they could use JPEG, I guess, settings within the camera. Yes. Black and white, vivid, sports, landscape. We know cameras have lots of these um, preview options. Yes. They could just shoot in using those options in JPEG have a JPEG right on the memory card that would transfer to wherever. And we even know that some of these cameras have wireless built in. They could even upload them directly to their preferred sharing venue, be that social media or a website or whatever. So that could save them some time. Yes. Especially if you, as you say, they may not all want to edit them. Yes. And if I heard you correctly, the use of these camera options or settings options, they produce a decent-looking image. Yes. So if I choose, let's say I'm photographing hot air balloons, and I choose camera vivid as my JPEG view model, Mm -hmm. it's going to do the kind of stuff that I would probably do manually editing to produce a finished image that's certainly good enough for social media and for sharing on a website. Is that right? That's correct. Now, I know that some cameras can also save in both JPEG and RAW. In a RAW file, there's always an embedded JPEG. And that embedded JPEG takes on whatever camera settings you have set. But you identified that just because it does that, when you bring the RAW file in, you see the RAW or uncooked file. It's unprocessed at all. You see the JPEG preview first then the raw conversion is built and all of that JPEG pre-work is done. And some software vendors, Adobe, let's use them as an example, they've put a lot of work into their tools in Camera Raw or in Lightroom Classic or even Lightroom Mobile to give you a quick way to get back to what the JPEG looked like. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't it be quicker just to save it in JPEG in the camera? Yes. So do we make work for ourselves by going through this shoot to raw, import, convert, edit, output JPEG if we're not really looking to do a lot of editing or spend a lot of time in what we call the post-processing space? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, so if we... depends depends on where our intent is. Uh, you have identified it. If we are the people who are satisfied with what the billions of dollars that have been put into the research and development of the various tools and the output of the camera. If that is what we are looking for in the first place and it comes out looking like that, then by all means, uh, why not use it and go with that as long as we 
as you have identified again uh, as long as we don't feel that we want to do something else with this at some other point so then i think what we're saying is for those folks who just want the nice photograph out of their camera who like what the camera is capable of delivering without post-processing, there's nothing wrong with them shooting in JPEG. Absolutely not. So, in that context, I find it a little frustrating that everything you read on the internet implies that you're not doing anything right if you don't shoot in RAW. But we're saying that's not true. Yes, uh, I think that is. Um, the people that say that on the internet, um, they they make their business, they make their livelihoods out of um, doing various post-processing things. And it's to their advantage to have a number of people who do that. But I think in the overall scheme of things, a number of people compared to the general population who do not want to do anything, is comparatively small. Well, the, the industry data tells us that your assertion is correct. You know, well over 90% of the cameras in use in the world are not cameras in the sense that a photographer of the old school would think of, that meaning a body with a lens or a body and several lenses. The vast majority of them are our smartphones. You know, of those two billion images every day, it's, you know, like somewhere around 99% that are shot on the smartphone or a similar pocketable device. Yep. Something that's just going to do a nice job, capture good resolution, and produce a JPEG. Yep. That's small enough, easy to transport, that they can upload without bankrupting their cell service. So it's probably just perfect for them. Yes. And they should, so maybe then they... Maybe then they don't even worry about raw. Well, the way I've, I've looked at this more recently is that uh, I, I came to digital like all of many of us did from shooting um, analog or film uh, versions. And I had an understanding of how that worked. Uh, the light came in, it, it reacted with the compound on the film. You, you It recorded the colors, it recorded the brightness, and it spat out... Uh, the version as uh, as a negative which you processed. And I did not really appreciate that when we went to digital, uh, none of that is there. Uh, and what we see, what we're calling a raw image, is in fact an already processed somebody's version of what that image should look like. And I think that's correct. And, and I want to talk about this in much more detail in another episode. But, okay. you're, but your point's well taken. When you photographed using film, you ended up with something that you could look at, even if it was a negative, or if you were shooting with slide film, you had a positive. But it had already been processed. Yes. And then in the printing process, more work could be done you know, dodging, burning, coloring, filtering, and all that kind of stuff to change the image. Right. So you're, what you're saying is that when we shoot raw, we're still part of the way there in terms of processing that we have no control over. Yes. 
So for those people who don't care, the JPEG is a much faster route to delivery. Yes. Now, if we look at social media, and I don't, so I'm really poorly equipped here, and I don't participate in any social media offerings, but I'm aware that posting images on things like Facebook and Instagram, that's where the vast majority of photography is shared. And I know that there are people who will say, well, it's not photography because you didn't edit it. Well, it was photography and film and nobody was doing any editing there. Mm-hmm. You know, shoot a roll of black and white, it gets processed at the lab, it gets contact sheeted and the editor goes, yeah, this one, and away it goes. You know, everything was not fine art. It wasn't all Ansel Adams or minor white. Right. So regular folks don't necessarily need to do any of that work. They might want to use some kind of special effect in the camera, like a background blur or whatever. But the technology in these smartphones is so incredible that a lot of things that we could only do in the digital darkroom before are now done to the JPEG right in the camera. Right. So this introduces a concept that some folks have referred to as computational photography, that the photograph that you see, even coming out of your smartphone, has already been so heavily edited, it's no longer quote-unquote real. But is that a big problem? No, not if, if what's coming out of the camera is more or less what you were looking for in the first place. Uh, Does it matter how it got there? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you could say, well, it's not photojournalism, but even photojournalism wasn't always photojournalism. There was cropping that took place, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There was some editing. There was dodging and burning, even at the most simple level. So if I pick up a smartphone... Mm -hmm. I think you and I both have iPhones. Yep. And we go into the camera app. Well, yes, it will take photos and it will take videos. Uh, but it's also got a whole bunch of other features, you know, like portrait or pano. And I can control the uh, what we would call the color temperature. Mm-hmm. And all of these options would be available to us, including things like black and white. You talked about that. Basically through a touchscreen interface. Yep. And it's got a flash. And that's just the basic app right here in the camera. Oh, slow motion time lapse as well. It shows you guys how much I actually look at this stuff. I got to spend more time on this. Because frankly, it's really, really good. Um, This one also does raw. So... I could technically make a raw image with my smartphone. I hadn't seen that, but... (laughs) Oh, I just tapped it. It had a line through it. Now it doesn't have a line through it. Okay. So I guess I could make a raw image right now. Uh, Let me see how hard that is. There's Gordon. Oh, boy. That was... Wow, that was massively difficult. Uh, That looks like you. Uh, Yep. Now, I used raw in the phone... And it says raw. But I know that when I save this or I go to to share it. It'll share as a JPEG. It'll share as a JPEG. 
And what we're looking at right now is probably a JPEG. Yeah, or, or in the case of Apple, I'm looking at a HEIC, which is their okay. high, high something, EI, high EIC, whatever that means. Sorry for being ignorant, but I'm I don't ignorant. Know either, so. um, and it looks great. It's nice and sharp. You're not all, you know, distended or bent or twisted. And the quality is the quality is excellent. I don't even know what the megapixel rating is of that sensor. Yeah, it's a super small sensor, but I didn't have to do anything special to make a uh, an image of you, whether it's in RAW or not. But if I'm going to share it with somebody, like I'm going to email it to you afterwards, you're going to get it as a JPEG. Yep. <clears throat> and I probably won't get, and you probably won't get a message saying it's too big to send to me. Oh, right, right, right. Let's Well, let's find out. Hi, guys. We're doing real live experimentation right here on the podcast. So I'm going to send this via email. And you know what? I'm not even going to do an email. I'm going to do a text message. Okay. Because I've got you set up here. And just put a little bit of text here and hit send. And it should show up in your in your messages at some point. No time no time cuts, no edits to allow for propagation delay. Did it show up or did I screw up? Hasn't shown yet. Okay. Maybe it's me. No, it should come with the text message. Let's see this. I don't do a lot of text no, messages. Okay, so if I email it, I'm actually given four choices. I can send small, medium, large, or actual size, but actual size is still only 2.6 megabytes. So I know that I'm getting effective levels of compression because this might be a 12 or 14 megapixel camera. I don't know. I really should know. So I just emailed you a version called large. And eventually that'll show up uh, in, in your photo field. Our purpose, guys, is not to find out how efficient it is at sending images uh, in terms of time response, but that you can simply do it. So that was, that was pretty convenient. So I was able to make an image with no extra kit, no extra gear, a view at your microphone here in our podcast recording space. Get it, send it electronically, and have it show up on your phone. Right. That's pretty simple. Are there any, any other applications for people to use JPEG, do you think? Well, we talked about the transmission. We talked about we talked about situations where uh, there's a there's a time constraint involved. Did you just get an alert? <laughs> yeah, saying, uh, "Hey there, we've got something here." Okay. Um, for instance, um, I was asked to. 
photograph some of my grandson's hockey games. <clears throat> and there was a certain amount of pressure for me to get the images out to the team as quickly as possible afterwards. Okay, yeah. And I went through uh, one episode where I sat down and I uh, did some quick editing of the images and uh, and that lasted for one game. And at the end of that, I said, this is nuts. I'm not doing this again. I'm going to shoot JPEG and get it over with. You know, it's so funny you said that. When I, when I was shooting high school and college championship football, you know, I would be thinking about the great edit and the magazine cover. <laughs> and Parents would come by and go, can I have a picture of my son? Now. <laughs> now. So I could share it with my, everybody who's over there. And uh, they were pretty distraught that at the time, the camera that I shot with, in fact, the camera that I still shoot with doesn't have Wi-Fi in it. And I was shooting raw. I had no way to get them an image right away. Right. And he said, well, hold your camera up and I'll take a picture of the back of your camera <laughs> with my iPhone. <laughs> and he did. And he was really happy that way. You know, and then he texted me his email and I, and I actually printed a proper print. Sorry, I sound incredibly uh, arrogant there. A proper print. But I printed them a proper print, you know, in a, in a nice large size. And, uh, you know, sent it to them by courier in a tube. Right. So they could, you know, get it matted and mounted. And they were super nice. They go, wow, this is really great. It looks just like the picture from the back of your camera. <laughs> okay, I'm learning something here. I'm learning something. So I think, that's, I think that's very telling. It's a really, if you are, you know, doing photographs of family, friends, or if you've got grandkids and they're playing sports, thank goodness they're going to be able to do that again soon. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's all that anybody really cares about. Well, when I come back, we have a family get-together, and uh, I happen to be the photographer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. Hey, you've got a About nice 10 camera. minutes after I get home, the text messages start arriving. I put the pictures on, put the, put the pictures in your fo your folder that you normally send to us. And you, oh, 10, 15 minutes later, okay, where are the pictures? I say, okay, guys, give me a chance. I can't get this program to work. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the, I think that's a very real usage. So that make that actually just makes really good sense. So what? So I think what we're saying as well is, you know, for parents and grandparents, and they're going out and they're dealing with their kids, you know, doing whatever kids do, or maybe they've got a hobby, or okay, I'm going to massively date myself, a bridge club. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm old. Uh, they're able to get those photos to other people as quickly as possible without a lot of fussing around, and those folks are going to be just thrilled with getting those pictures. I'm wondering if this is not all that dissimilar to back in the olden days when you'd get a roll of photos back from, you know, wherever you had them processed, be that the, the, the drugstore or, you know, the photo processing, and you got double prints. Yeah. <laughs> because it gave you something to give somebody else. Right. 
you know, something you could pop in the mail and send to the grandparents or the aunts and uncles or, or, or friends and such. I know when I was a kid, my mom was shooting one of those little uh, Kodak Hawkeye 127 cameras. Uh, I only remember black and white, but I'm sure it, that it had the color capability. But she would get these little albums back from the drugstore. We lived in a small town. There was no camera store there. And there were four of every shot. I think it was like 12 shots on a roll. Right. So you got back 48 pictures, but f the four were all on the same page, and they had already been pre-perforated. <laughs> so you could easily tear them out and put them in an envelope and send them off to people. And they were thrilled. You know, you'd go visit aunts, uncles, and they would have these things in little frames. Right. Now I talk to people and say, so what do you think about, oh, hang on. They dig into their their pocket, they pull their phone out, and say, look. And on that little three-inch screen, it looks pretty awesome. And I know that if I were to transfer that image I just photo shot of you, or you did that when you get home, it's going to look pretty darn good mm -hmm. on your computer display. The only caveat is I don't want to spend a lot of time editing it because I'm going to start to see some quality loss. Right. So do you think we can conclude then that shooting JPEG is not a sin and that it might be the right choice for a lot of photographers? For many, it's the only choice. That's a great point. So guys... As we wind down this episode, maybe that's something that we could all think about. That even if we're serious photographers who always shoot in raw, you know, maybe, okay, nobody's wearing a fro nose photo raw rules t-shirt, I hope, but you might be. There's probably a place for JPEG. And if you're somebody just interested in photography for the purpose of getting memories, JPEG may be absolutely the right answer for you. You're not committing any sins. You're not doing anything wrong. If you like what you get, you got it. <laughs> it's good, and it makes you happy. Right. Anything else that you think we should add this week, Gord? No, I think we've covered everything that I dreamt up there. I think we did, too. And I thank you again for being here as our co-host. It's a pleasure as usual. That's good. And uh, not too much lubrication this, this episode. Nope. Oh, only one, one beverage each. We'll have to work on that. You know, we've, got, we've got people to catch up to. We do. <laughs> so, Gordon, thanks for being here, man. Always a pleasure. You're welcome. Anytime. And thanks, folks, for listening in. Hope you find the podcasts of interest if you have questions or ideas for topics for gordon and i to talk about don't hesitate to make a post on the website at thephotovideoguy.ca this has been make better photos and videos with ross and gordon talk to you all soon <laughs>